Mike check. Uh, <laughs> one, two, one, two. Tribe podcast live. The record button has been hit. Here we go. Is that a chalice, bro? A chalice. Uh, it's, a, it's a metal cup. I, I got to say, actually, <laughs> I love my steel cups. Tell me about it. Why? Uh, it's durable, fits the hand. I find that the right cup, I'm just going to drink more out of. It's kind of arbitrary, but I'm going to drink way more water with like my preferred cup. Dude, this cup right here, my coffee mug, it's so archaic and it probably has parabens and all the stuff you, we can't afford to do, but it just gets, gets the job done right. So I'm loyal to it. Friday. End of the week. It's been about what have been about a, about a month since we did one of these, right? Yeah, yeah. We were right on the cusp of coronavirus rollout. A lot of things unknown. Now we know a lot more, but still a lot unknown. Unknown. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, we would have thought a month ago that we'd have real clarity on what's happening now, and I suppose we do at least in knowing that the apocalypse. It wasn't the apocalypse. Yeah. At least not yet for the health, for the health side of things, for the economy, that's still probably up in the air. It's true. Yeah, it's been pretty rough. It's unpleasant to stay in this state of limbo where every month that it's not bad rather than celebrating. It's like, well, it wasn't bad this month, but we'll see about next month. You know, how, many, how many months do we need to go where things are okay before people choose to believe that it's okay as opposed to just punting the can of doom down the road by another month right someone told me it's kind of similar to the stages of grief and i said i thought that might be true because i'm kind of in the anger stage now i guess where i'm no longer trusting our elected officials and gonna give them to the end of their current deadline till probably may 1st i think is what it is and then I'm going to probably be protesting to get our lives back. <clears throat> are masks required where you're at? They are. And I'll wear a mask. I mean, the thing is, I, I think it's easy to keep other people's businesses closed while you get a paycheck. And, and I, I say that cautiously because I do know they're doing the best they can, but just psychologically, when it's not your pain, it's not your money. You know, I have friends that businesses are shut down and they're making zero money, not like down 10%, like zero, right? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> these loans and everything are great and these grants, but even these grants, okay, so I can pay my workers for two and a half months, but I still need customers, which I don't have. So at a certain point, you know, the country was founded on liberty and that's, you know, being able to live your life without the government infringing upon you. And I think collectively we need to be smart and this isn't um, a right-wing conspiracy or anything. It's just like at a certain point we have to ask questions and, um, and make sure that the, the medicine isn't worse than the virus itself. Yeah. I have no idea what the right answer is. That is a, at the loggerheads of a very interesting conversation i'm very empathetic to what you're saying i don't have studied opinions the only strong opinion that i carry is that right now because we didn't deal with this in a way to prevent getting to this point early on because of the lax policy around preventing it from spreading this far all we're left with are a series of really poor undesirable options mm -hmm. however Regardless of what's going on out there, the inner game, the inner dialogue, that's where the action's at, man. That's, that's where the juice is at. You know? Yeah, that's all we can control, right? Uh, so we come back to ourselves. And, uh, you know, that's been a journey for me, too. I've, uh, I started out very rah-rah. This is the best opportunity. Get your mind in the game. Now you can tell I'm a little more uh, jaded and... Uh, you know, I, I, um, how did it come up? But, um, someone, man, I can't remember how it came up, but someone pointed, oh, I think it was a conversation with my wife, actually. She's like, 
it's okay to like be scared and it's okay to right have emotions and you know you don't always have to like in fact she was telling me like it kind of hurts our relationship when you're just like always positive and i was like i thought about that and it's true and and so i it was funny i told her like i was like well i am scared and when i said that i like i knew it was true because i felt this twinge of like like in forest gump when she, he like visits jenny's grave and it's like you're about to like cry <laughs> i was like like i wasn't like about to cry necessarily but like if you i felt, felt that twinge up my you know what i mean like yeah, i said yeah. i am scared and i like got this like visceral feeling it was kind of weird mm. <laughs> so that was cathartic and i shared on some you know my email for my music thing and some other stuff about that story and people really related to it because i think there's a lot of people out there like us who generally wave the positive flag and, and that is being, being positive is great. But I told my team this cause our number one core value is positivity that, you know, sometimes just being real is needed. Totally. Yeah. I really appreciated that. That resonated with me when you disclosed that you were struggling and you'd been going through it and that was freeing and helpful for me to communicate with some other people and just say, Hey, this has been really rough a lot of ups and downs i've had my moments of panic i've had my moments of apathy of euphoria of entitlement this is bullshit i don't deserve this i had all my ducks in a row this is supposed to be my year <laughs> it certainly has been a rich gold mine for exploration but that doesn't mean that in the midst of that cave is not a whole lot of unpleasant experiences yeah, a hundred percent. And so the realization I had was creating positive. I don't. I just don't want a positive mental attitude. I want that in order to create positive change in the world. And so, being real with how you feel about things lights people, other people up because they recognize it in themselves. And then often they are people are hungry for opportunities to connect and, and help other people. So like people reached out. And um, so if I would have just put on a mask that, you know, everything's great and that people don't relate as much to that. And I'm trying to share that more in like content I do, um, you know, not go too far one way, but just try to like, you know, if you only post about like, this is the thing you need to do and this is how you like improve your life. I don't know. I think it, there's a lot of that and people are hungry for more of the like, okay, that stuff's great, but like mix in reality and you yeah. know, things that you're struggling with that you're actually embarrassed to be struggling about. Uh, dude. So I know a guy and my experience of the way that he discloses struggles is in this really packaged, polished way that only shares the problem in the context of it being an experience that was overcome. So it's like some narrative of like this thing that I overcame and it's really a testimony of my resolve and resiliency, et cetera, as opposed to sharing when you're in the moment, you don't know what the solution is. It sucks. I'm having a hard time. Haven't worked my way through it. I may have belief and confidence, but I'm not there yet. I think it's really easy for me to experience that as like being a loser or just bitching. Um, and yet everybody's there at some point. So, it's, so to me, that's a really like a high bar to be willing to share and to be vulnerable in the middle of it, as opposed to only when you feel like when you're out of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I think, to relate to people too, because I, I I follow certain people that really I, I know Aubrey Marcus really shares like everything about his life. I think you turned me on to him. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Um, I don't follow him as much anymore. Honestly, it became kind of a lot. Like I feel like <laughs> I feel like you can overshare. Like it's too much. TMI, bro. TMI. <laughs> well, like I think it's everything in moderation, right? So I I think um. And I think he's great. I don't know. I just lost touch with him somehow, but um, you can overshare. Also, I think I learned this at the social media conference and it was really powerful. They're always saying, okay, you got to be, just tell your story. 
but then they also say like you gotta you know share like what on what people care about and like think about your audience right and it's like well which is it like do i just like share what i'm who i am and all this you know or is it you know and someone said the only time you tell a me story is when it's really a we story so you know that's really been helpful for me because everything i heard at that conference is like story story i remember narpam had a story guy three years ago four years ago i was like it made no sense i was like jay bear what yeah jay bear was one but it was like some other guy he was really early to the game and i was like no what like made no sense but now it's like hands down everyone says you got to be telling stories so like if if you want to be a better storyteller um i think that's a little axiom that's helpful for me yeah i mean it's interesting to ask like what are we optimizing for are we optimizing for marketing juice are we optimize i heard somebody say create what you want in others and was really it struck me as being odd how do you create what you want in others and the way to do that is to manifest it in yourself if you want to see joy in others produce it yourself and you'll get that response if you want to see anger in others it's really easy show up angry and you'll create anger mm-hmm. in others so that's i think that's part of the goal here is vulnerability and disclosure creates more interesting more productive more useful more real conversations that i want to be a part of just like as a general life mo yeah yeah exactly and it's interesting like everyone's saying you've got to be a great storyteller so i i went back and i've been like researching how to be a better storyteller and all this stuff and it's great but um i think i i texted the tribe group about this yesterday last night about Derek Sivers had this great little clip where he talked about, he was talking about music, but he was talking about, you know, for every person that tells you like, oh, you have to tour, touring's imperative. No, touring's not imperative. I can give you a long list of people who were wildly successful artists that never did live shows. Sade. Yeah, you gotta, um, you gotta have airplay. Like, no. And so like in the business world, he says, people will say this is a must and it's like well no not so much it's just one way of doing things and that was so um inspirational and and excited me to hear because i constantly my mo is to snap into people's like this is the way you do it storytelling um content instagram like whatever it is <clears throat> thinking like even um deepak's book that i love uh, seven laws of spiritual success it's like one hour of silence a day, two 30 minute sessions of meditation per day. And like, if I don't do that, I feel like I'm not unlocking the secret. It's weird. My mind's like, and I've just like took this big monkey off my back where it's like, no, nobody knows. We're all just winging it. Deepak doesn't know that. Like he, he he's just giving you like what works for him. And, and so it takes the pressure off for me. It allows me to take the good like I used, I'd buy these books and it would say, if you follow this plan, you will make $1 million. And I would mm. try to follow it and it wouldn't happen. But instead, what I really needed to do was just take the 20% of that book that made sense to me and mm. run with that. I remember you telling me a long time ago that <clears throat> you started planning vacations like quarterly and it got kind of heavy. It was yeah. like burdensome to do. And it's like the same thing. There's all these things that are useful in a certain, they're useful up until you make it dogma. Totally. And then then the useful thing transforms into something that's dramatically less useful. (laughs) A hundred percent. With, with miles, we, I was talking to Courtney about this last night is that he was having a lot of trouble sleeping. Thank God lately he's been great. But um I was like, we got to get a sleep coach. Like found this lady. I'm like, all right, babe, here it is. And like, she didn't, she talked to her, but she didn't want to do it. And I was like really frustrated because I'm such like a hoop. I'm a hoop. We need a who we need. Like this person knows what, what to do and okay, whatever. Like, and she took about 20% of what that lady said and adopted it, but went with her instincts and like, she was right. And so I, I like commended her for that. Hmm. And, uh, it's just refreshing to know that your way is probably the right way. There's a reason we have instincts and, and gut feels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's self-fulfilling. 
it's my way because I'm only solving for me. Following following my gut is a big part of the answer, not solving for some variable or equation or rubric outside of me. I'm reading a book by a guy named Nassim Taleb who wrote Black Swan, a bunch of other books. The name of the book he, that he wrote that I'm currently reading is called Fooled by Randomness. And it talks a lot about how there's a strong, overwhelming tendency to make stories out of what happened in the past and to try and project those stories into the future, even though we're really just rationalizing what happened in the past. It happened to us. We don't want to believe that the world is random. We need the idea of agency to not fall into a sense of fatalism or nihilism. I need to believe that there is meaning and influenceability associated with my actions. And therefore, when I look at the past, I need a, a story arc that I believe I can carry with me into the future. Like, Steve, why are you successful? You know, where does your success come from? If I asked you that, you'd have your list of reasons. I'd have my list of reasons. Everybody would have their list of reasons. Very few people would be like, I don't really know. You know, seems, seems pretty random. <laughs> and yet, and yet, and there's a lot of stuff I don't understand where I don't fully appreciate and there's a lot of luck and there's a lot of randomness and it, it um, provides some humility and a hedge against the idea that we have like just massive amounts of control of everything going on around us. Yeah. So does it discourage, does it say that's bad? Like telling story, having to have a story for everything in your life rather than just kind of how things are or what's the, what's like, what does it culminate into the idea? It, what it culminates into is being deeply skeptical of people's explanations of what's going on around us. Mm, okay. It's like the whole idea with the stock picking industry that it's not useful. The culmination of decades and decades of millions of people's research and effort has resulted in an industry that makes billions of dollars in premiums, but is not more effective at picking stocks than throwing a dart at a wall. Yeah, I always laugh about the headlines in stocks. Stocks move lower today due to unemployment numbers. It's like, you don't know that. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like straight lies. I mean, it might be, it might have be part of it, but like, that's not necessarily the reason. Yeah. So I mean, how can you fool? know? I certainly don't know. And there's something freeing in that. Admitting that you don't know, it's, it's relieving. When I first went through a coaching program and on the first day they told me that coaching isn't about is not about telling people what to do that was like so freeing i was like wow that was gonna be really heavy to have to think that i was responsible for telling people what to do you know i'm really interested in taking that class you took because in my in the back of my head i love the idea i don't want to like be like a paid full-time coach but i love the idea of being able to coach well but i was um even on a call with someone recently and I'm not like a duck in water when I'm trying to help. Like I can tell people my, what it worked for me, but it's like, it doesn't give me energy, but maybe that's because I feel the pressure of having to like perform for this person. That's where it goes off the rails for me. Yeah. I have to live up to the idea of who this person thinks I am or like that. I know what I'm talking about. Whereas if I could just ask the right questions and help them figure it out, that's, that's really interesting to me. In my head, when I'm coaching, I can tell when I'm going into a place of kind of performing to try and keep the call going, or I'm checking with myself, like, how am I doing in this call? Yeah. <laughs> I'm deviating from my true <laughs> purpose. And there's this distinction of context versus content. Content is something to talk about. Um, the specifics of a situation, tactics, elements, context is the broader experience of like of what it's to be of what it's to be like in this call i was doing a coaching role play with someone that was sharing that their business was the business that they were attempting to run wasn't getting off the ground it was struggling it was failing and i was hearing like suffering in it and i in my attempt to create content i was like well have you tried this? You know, like, what about SEO? Like all this business stuff. Whereas the context was a person that was experiencing suffering and needing to talk about that. You feel me? Yeah, totally. So did you realize that in the moment or 
later. I, I like I intuited it in the moment, but I got told that at the end of the call and it was like, oh yeah, that's hundred percent what I was <laughs> doing. So do you enjoy coaching? I do. I would say that I have an uncomfortable relationship with it because I am not as engaged with it as I could be. I would say that I have maybe 25% of the acumen in the game that I could because of the level of infrequency and casuality with which I interact with it. So in the moment when I'm interacting with somebody that has no experience, it feels great. When I work with my mentor or somebody that's like really committed to that practice, it clarifies the gap and like how much I'm leaving mm-hmm. on the table. Yeah. So in practice, like here's an example, the coach that I work with right now is dramatically less expensive. I get a ton of value and it's entirely because I show up wanting to do the work myself. This guy is just a conduit. Like I'm not looking for him to tell me any great insights. He is a conduit for me having a conversation with myself and he approaches it from the position of attempting to help me facilitate that in myself. So he doesn't have a great big business background. He doesn't have a bunch of titles, but I get a ton of value because of the way that we're approaching it. And that to me is really profound. The ability to, to get value from that and the ability to, to see him doing that because of the way that we're approaching it. That's like, it's really interesting to me. Nice. Is that the same guy you referred me to that one time or is it new? That's, that's the guy I was coaching with before who's fantastic i switched just because of the the, well i didn't really switch i just like i went through a full story arc with him stopped doing coaching for a while kind of came back to it with somebody new at a much cheaper rate yeah something that's been working for me lately is this concept of getting a black belt in something like Mm, mastery mastery yeah um and I can't remember where it came from, but it really like fired me up and reignited something that, you know, what am I committed to like becoming a master and, and getting a black belt in and uh, songwriting is one, but marketing is another. And uh, what would you, what would you, would you have any advice for someone that really wants to get great at marketing or communication? Like any what, what comes to mind for you when I say that? Hmm. What comes to mind for me is my own journey and realizing that I started to make headway when I allowed it to be art and I allowed my delight in it to be guided by the fact that it was a conduit for creativity as a means for clicks and ROI and revenue. It's effective and useful, but that felt a lot heavier and more like work. Um, I got the most juice out of it when I could just have fun with it and let it be a creative medium where it was like self-expression. I love that. I love that. That's kind of the, the way I've been approaching it too. Um, I was talking to Jason Goldberg and he had this great question. He said, um, he has varieties of this question. It's called the jailbreak question. It's like, if I knew uh, um, what would I do? So if I knew blank, what would I do? And so if I knew I had to create a thousand pieces of mediocre content before I created something epic, what would I do? And I like that because it allows me, I, I approached, I naturally approached songwriting that way. Like I always tell people I'm under no illusion that I'm going to write like any decent song in the next five years. Whoa, dude, I've never heard you say that. That's amazing. (laughs) I mean, not decent, like any epic song. Because it's funny, the songs I thought that were epic three years ago, I listened to now and it's like cringeworthy. <laughs> song, you know, and like, so, and um, what's his name? The redheaded Ed Sheeran. He turned me on to that where like, he's like, it's like a hose, creativity. Sometimes you got to open it up and just let a bunch of crap flow out. Uh, clear out the valves. Yeah. And someone else is like, yeah, it's kind of like 10,000 hour rule, but like 10,000 hour rule feels real heavy to me. Like it's like a yeah. little <laughs> right. like. Right. sentence whereas you know if i'm just going to create if i got to f- create a thousand pieces of mediocre content i'm just going to create a bunch of mediocre content i guess but the the thing that 
is cool is it allows me to have fun and it um it just allows me to so like sometimes i've been struggling with you know oh i'm i'm spending too much time like on instagram creating content for music like is music ever going to pay the bills or like i'm doing this for good life but we only have 500 followers or like you know like it's no longer about what happens. It's about this space that I've created for myself for some period of time where I'm just going to have fun and, and work at my art. It's like rolling around in the dojo and like the jujitsu mm -hmm. dojo. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily get anything out of it other than leaving a better than you got leaving better than you got there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you say that, what comes up for me is just thinking about what is the point of, of anything? What is, what is the importance of having the point of something? When I try and make, I can make certain things that could be fun and light heavy when it's like, well, what is the point of this? Where is it going? Yeah. And I step back and it's like, well, I'm going to be dead soon. You know, all of this is going to have pretty limited meaning and utility. It's all going to be over soon. I, I think the point is to be as engaged as I can with the people around me and what is in front of me for as large of a percentage of my life as possible. Yeah. I'm writing that down. That was really well said. <laughs> I think you nailed it. It's easy to, to get off that though, though. It's like, I'm here, <clears throat> I'm here at my computer. Don't really want to be, but like, I'm going to get this other thing, you know, like yeah. eventually this other, this other thing is going to happen and that's going to make it worth it right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, documentary called finding joe that's about joseph campbell um i didn't really know much about joseph campbell but i recognize i don't him. know who that is yeah he's this um i think it was like the 20th century early 20th century um he was a, kind of like a philosopher writer but he studied greek mythology and all like indian uh mythology and all these cultures and he's the one that uh, created the phrase um uh, hero's journey. So we realized that all these stories had like, were basically the same story. It was like a hero, like someone's like having a normal life and then they're like forced to like make a decision and then they like go on this journey. And then there's like this art, I forget the actual names, but it, it's like a circle. So they always return to like mm -hmm. better off and like wizard of Oz, Forrest Gump, mm. fight club. Like every movie is basically the same Moana, Harry Potter, like it's the same thing. Story arc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hero's journey. But he said, um, I would check, check out this documentary if you're interested. It's really good, but there's tons of good quotes in there. And um, one, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's something to the effect of uh, following your bliss. When you, oh, here it is. When you follow your bliss, the universe will put doors where there were only walls. Hmm. Hmm. And, and one thing that comes up for me with that in, in the business world is like, you have to measure your marketing. You have to know what's paying you off. You have to like know your numbers. And I've been so resistant to that. And I'm actually really comfortable with that because, you know, making like videos, for instance, is actually just a lot of fun. Our team like enjoys it. And, you know, maybe if we follow our bliss, <laughs> it will actually culminate into something bigger that we didn't really understand because we weren't so like fixated on like whether this video paid a return or not, mm -hmm. you know? That's a really interesting thought. As you say that I, I experienced this duality of on the one hand, people just intuit that if you're operating from a high place of confidence and high energy that you're going to spark that in others, but there's this other very deeply American thought of like, no, Steve, you, you gotta grind it out, man. Like you gotta, you gotta like almost correlating suffering with progress or, or yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, you're familiar with that thought. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You'd be yeah. responsible, you know? Yeah. Wait, what, 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 the way I look at it is I've, feel like there's we're sitting on a speck of dust in an infinite universe and so following like that thing that gives you energy that like that lights you up like i always say um might have some divine connection that you're not necessarily aware of at the surface 
And so mm. there's a lot of value to doing things because you enjoy them, keeping things playful, taking, not doing something that's going to like hurt that. Because like you said, is the, the points to be as engaged as I can. So with as I think you said, as many people or the people that are important to you or whatever. But um, so I think protecting that is super important when we're making decisions. Um, Tit, uh, I was butcher his name, but that Buddhist guy, Tichnan Hut or whatever said, time is not money, time is life. And uh, that's something else that resonates with me. Yeah, I, that so resonates with me. So how do you, th when you when this money <clears throat> conversation, how much is enough? I know you've heard the idea of the hedonistic treadmill, which I, I heard that from Clint Collins, but you, the idea that money after a certain point stops really influencing happiness, like it's increasingly diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about what I most desire that comes from entrepreneurship, it's the freedom that it affords me. <clears throat> what, what is your mix of like hours? Like what, what is your average work week? How many hours are you working a week right now? Ballpark. I mean, I'm engaged from, I don't know, probably 35 hours. Okay. And does that, does that feel like the target, the goal? Like, what would you say is like the ideal? For me load? right now, it's about that. It's like 30 to 40, but that's not, at all, not all in like property management. A lot of that is music. Um, some of that is just like reading, you know, so I would just, rather than work, I would just call it like engaged in, you know building a skill set. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a huge distinction, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm asking, I'm talking about like the GOB, you know? Oh, the GOB, the GOB. Um, probably 20 hours. All right. So dramatically less than, so, so that's, that's awesome. That's, that's amazing. So when I think about what would happen with radical financial success and way more freedom, uh, time freedom, it definitely, I guess I'm just describing the, the obvious trade-off that most work is a means to an end. And so when I think about it, it informs my ambition. If you're willing to lower your needs, your consumption needs and your consumption demands, you can get freedom way quicker. Like everybody's got a number mm -hmm. and that number ultimately is, is driven by your level of, of consumption. So that's just a, been a really interesting thought to me lately is how do I how do I augment my lifestyle in order to get that number as low as possible to provide the greatest possibility for freedom as soon as possible, as opposed to having to stay in a place of doing this for that. Right. But I think you might also be like me if I had to guess in the sense that money is fun to make it like, true. you know, you know what I mean? True. Like it's, yeah, uh, that's true. I've thought about this with music a lot because I've had this struggle the last like year and a half where like, what, you know, what is it a money thing? I'm like, what am I trying to do? And it's mm. been a journey, but um, I always come back to, and like, do, do you want this or this? It's like, yes. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like um, I shouldn't like, I, I feel what I've come to is I feel like I don't need to push away this instinct to make money because why am I constantly coming back to like, okay, well, how am I going to make money in music? How, what, because it's like, it's natural. It doesn't make me a bad person. I just enjoy the money-making aspect of it. So I've instead changed my belief to like, there's going to be money with this. It might not even be in music. It might be because I spent so much time in music. I met this person who I ended up starting a freaking peril line with, like, who knows? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, not feeling bad about needing to make money with things because I know what I do with it. I know it's not like a ego thing. It's just more of like, it adds excitement where you can, but it's also good to, I like to have things that aren't about money too. So it's a balance, but yeah, it's definitely a balance for sure. I've felt like I was stifling certain projects in the past or I got negative energy from other people and their willingness to do something cool and creative because they were trying to get it to money so quickly so it's about it's about timing you know like are you willing to play the long game if i don't like the skill or the act of what i'm doing if there's not juice in me doing it for its own sake then that probably 
in means that it's not something I want to be doing for the long haul. Yeah. And that's how I am currently looking at marketing and creating content. Like what if I woke up at the end of five years and I wasn't making money at music and maybe content for good life didn't really like move the needle as far as like social media or whatever. Um, I would have become such a better marketer by like doing that. You know what I mean? And so it's a fungible skill set. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just something I don't know. I've been thinking about, but yeah. Optionality is something I was having a discussion with a buddy about earlier today. Optionality is just having lots of options and to to create a lot of optionality and a lot of possibility. It means you have to stay at, you have to, uh, have a bunch of experiences, talk to a bunch of people. You got you to explore a lot of things. And exploration is very much different than harvest. Harvest is like nose to the grindstone, tight focus, extract value immediately. Exploration is a long-term possibility-driven thing. Um, and for a lot of folks, exploration feels unknown. It's unclear where it's going to go but I love being in that place of mm-hmm. exploration and, and optionality. It's, it's served me really, really well. And I kind of get off on being able to see a bunch of different angles or ideas, tie it all together and to create possibility and opportunity where there seemingly was nothing for the unobservant eye. Yeah. Yeah. In, Dan Sullivan's new program, the free zone frontier, whatever, when he was talking about it, the thing I really liked was he says, we put in this program or whatever, in this thinking, uh, this model, we put money at the end because we know how to make money at this point. Mm-hmm. And money just gets in the way of innovation and um, collaboration. Mm. So having someone with his, you know, wisdom, giving me permission to put money at way at the end of the line and not have to make it like a priority today or even in the next six months is actually really freeing to do that. You have to be cash confident. He says, you know, like you've got to have have some, you know, cash confidence, but um, that's a really interesting place to be are you currently is there anything personally or professionally you're working on that like is in that arena where you know there's not maybe money today but it's fun and there could be down the line or like what do you think about that hmm yeah i mean i'm definitely involved in some things where the cash upside is is limited each business is at a different place of maturity and even with each business, like Lead Simple's been around for a long time, but we just released this new workflow product and we're on the early side of, that's gonna be a multi-year um, grind and there's a lot, it's heavy in R&D right now. So that would be making a long-term investment. But your question was a little more nuanced because it included, I, I, I took it to include also like delight and joy where I'm mm-hmm. making an investment. I think I've been experiencing a little bit of <clears throat> apathy, which I'm sure everybody can relate to to some degree being in quarantine and lockdown. And so the recent thought that I had was I need to be okay with the down cycle. Being in the up cycle as an entrepreneur, which I would describe as mania, hyper-focus, obsession, that's a very comfortable place for me to be. Being the down cycle of needing to rest, I tend to feel some level of guilt and like, oh, did I lose, lose the juice, lose my mojo. I'm in a little bit of a, of a down cycle. And if I embrace it instead of resisting it, and then that creates room and space for me to find the next thing to carry me in, into an up cycle. So I would say I, I'm longing for that, haven't identified what the next project is, but I'm in a place of just realizing within the last week or so that I need to give myself enough space to, to find it as opposed to showing up, but only being halfway there, you know, yeah. you know, when like you're, you're trying to rest, but you don't feel like give yourself permission to rest. So you're resting at work by operating at a low productivity 
mm-hmm. zone. That, that that's the worst. Yeah, I think this pandemic happens at just the right time. Just like most things, the Earth needs a chance to rest. We need a chance to rest. So if we're not just on our phones all day scrolling Instagram and actually just you know being bored, there's a lot of TED talks about being bored having a lot of value. I know a lot of uh, <laughs> I know a lot of. Uh, Spiritual teachers talk about stillness is where all creativity comes from. Um, that, the time is, mon- time is not money, time is life is something that has helped me recently when just sitting around because he points out how American culture, uh, you make you feel guilty when you're not doing something. And, um, you know, maybe like that saying all success lies 180 degrees in the opposite direction of the general narrative. That might be an opportunity that a lot of us are overlooking. How many people have you heard that like go away for three months and backpack and come back and then they like start this company that like goes, you know, it's like there's so many stories of beautiful things coming from stillness. So I would keep exploring that, man. Do you have a never going to do list? I recently started writing stuff down on a never going to do list. (laughs) I used to have these lists that would get so long and some of them would be like long-term or next week or next month. And it just kept getting longer and longer. And I finally added a never going to do list. And on my never going to do list, I write down good ideas, good solid ideas. (laughs) I'm just never going to (laughs) do But the the act of writing it down is kind of cathartic. It's like, all right, baby. Got that one out of the system, you know? It's not on my to-do list because that's where I like feel some level of burden. It's documented, but I've also, I'm not needing to pretend like I'm going to do it. So what, what's the qualifying factors? Is it like you just instinctually know, like, no, this sounds nice to me, but I'm never going to do it. Or is it like, I'm, keep me away from this because I'm protecting something, something about myself or... <laughs> It's, it's it's probably more the former. It's like, this is a good idea. Someone should do it. It could also be the someone should do this list. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's funny. Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. She has this book. I think it's called Big Magic. And it is really interesting how she talks about the nature of ideas. Are She's very like, you know, maybe out there for a lot of people, but she thinks ideas are like living things that float around and they go to people and people go, Oh yeah, that'd be a great idea. But then if they don't take action, it leaves and goes and finds like the next person. And she uses this example where she had this very specific idea for this book with this very specific storyline and then like meant to do it and like was really excited about it. But then something happens, so she kind of put it off. And then like two years later, she ended up meeting someone who was writing the exact same book like really weird like it couldn't it wasn't just like a, a it was a really specific plot line but um it helped me in the sense of thinking that she says like creativity doesn't just like wait around like mm. the divine sparks that you get if you don't honor it and you don't show up and you don't you know do the work it'll leave and go find someone a better like seedbed well man to grow well said so seen, seen it happen yeah, had good, good, smart ideas. And then it shows up elsewhere. And it's like, good. You know, the market wanted that. Yeah. They pulled it out of someone. But that's good. I like how you do that. I like how you can get it out of your head and just say, you know, this isn't for me and, and move on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard I, for me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I found myself in situations with other entrepreneurs where like business partners where my partner would not be comfortable with us saying we're going to procrastinate on this or stall on this thing or not doing anything or have inaction. Like as an official policy, that would be unacceptable. Even though in practice, we weren't going to do jack squat. We were just going to procrastinate on this thing. So I think that's what sparked the initial thought was if you just frame it as like, oh, well, let's, let's come back to this, knowing that we're never going to come back to it. Like that's a, just a convenient way. I had a, a question before we wrap here. I wanted to get your feedback on the hump that you had to get over getting into music. What were the biggest humps? And specifically, 
did you interact with any thought around the idea that you've demonstrated conf confidence, competence in certain domains around business? Music was an unknown. There's a possibility that you weren't going to be taken seriously. You were going to suck. How did you, how did you process being willing to go from high competence in one area to low competence in another? And like, what did you have to, yeah. How did you work? How'd you work through that? Yeah, man. Um, the initial spark was that I've talked about it before, but a conversation with just a random dude and strategic coach who played music and I didn't, I told him I used to play and he was like, well, that sucks. And it's just one of these moment, random moments where it kind of hit me and he was like, you know, well, just put a guitar in your office. Like, why don't you have a guitar in your office? You're the boss. Like, why aren't you honoring these things that are important to you? And I don't know. So it kind of just clicked for me then. And uh, I think it was that coupled with reading something about like the top five regrets of the dying. And the number one was like, I wish I had more courage to live a life true to myself. And I knew music was it wasn't like something I was starting from scratch on because I had had a long background in it. So it was just something where I knew if I was on my deathbed, I would, I would, I would feel horrible that I didn't like nurture that more. Um, but you are right in the sense that um, there was a degree of competence with like management and, and that arena. And it was just kind of getting, I wasn't as excited for it. So I kind of needed a new challenge. And so I started small, I started really small and it was like a, a, a slog, slog over time. And I remember six months in or something, I had a, you know, fairly successful songwriter in Sandy, not super successful, but you know, she was pretty known, decent, known, come over to do a writing session. And I was scared shitless because I, I didn't know like if I was going to be able to like, she'd be like, what are you doing? And we actually wrote a really good song and that just like, sent my confidence through the roof because oh, I was like, I, I, I have, I have it. So does that give you some insight? Yeah. So I think the takeaway for me there is that you didn't make it a huge cliff. Like it wasn't like you got on YouTube and you're like 12 months from now, I'm going to be a touring artist. Like you just kind of, you basically lowered the bar by just easing into it. Yeah. Yeah. Easing into it, giving, I really love Steve Chandler's, uh, he's this coach. He talks about nonlinear time management, like just um, doing things now. Like it, it helps keeping you, it helps keep you centered. It's kind of like spark speed. Hmm. So I, I have this uh, posted on my computer. I always change these things out, but the current one, it says time warrior acts now because it's either now or never or now or it has a specific place on my calendar in the future. Like we're constantly putting these little things off till later, till later, till later. And so just acting now, even if it's picking up the guitar for one minute or 30 seconds, it's like, there's all something we all have in our heads that we'd love to do. And we just like, Oh, I should do push-ups every day. It's like do a push-up right now. <laughs> Just do a push-up and, and get into motion. And like the activity of that will help build confidence. And so um, you know, slowly over time, if I picked up the guitar, I can tell people then I'm a guitar player because I've I I played today. I might for the first like three months, I was playing literally one minute. I would pick it up for like one minute. Yeah. That was the Are thing. You serious? Yeah, seriously. He, he, he was like, even if you pick it up for one minute, just pick it up. And I'm such a believer. I always sing the praises for uh, the idea of micro habits because it's slowly built into a bigger and bigger thing. When you get used to playing a minute, then two minutes isn't much more. And then five minutes isn't much more. And same thing with push ups or anything else in life. So that's a strategy for people that are trying to get into something. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that you just blew my mind. You mean, you're being serious. For the first three months, you only played per minute. Yeah. That's not, not hyperbolic? No. My goodness, that's ridiculous. Wow. Dude, that's like so light, bro. Yeah. That's like, I, I could be like on my way to, on, uh, to the Olympics by just 
<laughs> you know, sprinting for 60 seconds for the next six months. It's, that's freeing. You just, that's, that's exactly what I was looking for. That's really light. Good, man. The, it's the compound effect. Um, I read that book once, but it didn't really, it wasn't, it was okay or whatever, but I came across it. I've been watching uh, product. I think it's called productivity game or something. It's on YouTube. It's the best channel. I shared it with you guys once it summarizes books. So like, you don't even need to read these books, all these books that you want to read, just watch the 10 minute YouTube video. And then if you like really are interested, then you can like read it after. But so it, it highlighted the compound effect and I was just kind of bored and I was like watching it cause I'm not even interested in the compound effects. I've read it and it wasn't that great, but it, it, it had like a life changing insight from it. It like reminded me that small unsexy decisions made consistently over time is what creates greatness. Uh-huh. And, and like, you know, if you, and it like highlights this, this story about like, would you rather have 10,000 now or like $1 anyway? It's like the compound effects are like just the consistency of picking up the guitar for 30 seconds, easily built into a minute. And after six months, it's unnoticeable. After 12 months, it's unnoticeable. After two years, you don't. And that's when everybody gives up. Three years, they're still, you're still not great. Four years. And then it's like months, year six, seven, and eight, you're starting to get the interviews and like, it's, Oh, well, how'd you become an overnight success? It's like, I made these small and sexy decisions every day over a long period of time. And the thing I love that works with me and doesn't feel heavy in this regard is I don't need to write three hours a day. I'm not going to like make this a slog. If I just write, even if it's one minute, I'm still in the game and I, I can play the next game. I can live to fight another day. And if I don't, if I totally screw up and I don't do it, okay, then I'm going to restart tomorrow, but it's the chain. It's the consistency. That's the, where the magic happens. That's beautiful, man. I needed to hear that. Good, man. Glad it helps. Well, I love being, I, I take great joy <clears throat> in being mentored by the obvious and particularly things that I've had like 10 plus times. Yeah. Like when I can like really like have a moment and be mentored by hearing something for like the 11th time, it's like, ah, yeah. Yeah, man. Cause the dude, the good, like that's the juice, the real truth. It's not, uh, it's not changing, you know, like it's the same. It's been, it's been true for the last thousand years. Compound little yeah. actions, yeah. little steps. So listeners at home, what does that mean for you? I don't know. I have no idea. But for me, that means that my ass needs to do a couple push-ups and um, take some steps on some of the things that I've been brainstorming, some of the big ideas that give me joy that I've been resisting or holding back from because it's not going to make money. It's not responsible. It's not even legitimate work. But uh, it's just 60 seconds, 60 seconds a day, man. You really lowered the bar. Thank you. Cool, man. Glad it helps. And good... Good to talk to you. Take care. Um, Let's do it again next month, I guess, huh? Stay safe out there. All right, you too, brother.